0: Well good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We're going to go ahead and get started with a few announcements, but wanted to go ahead and just welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. Looks like we still have a few who are uh, celebrating Thanksgiving with families and stuff, Um, but we're certainly indeed grateful that you are here and also uh, all those that are joining online uh, that way. We welcome everyone to our services. Uh, If you're visiting with us today, uh, we would love for you to come and and meet us at the end of this service uh, here at the front. Uh, So our pastoral staff will be here. So if you're visiting, please come by and say hello. And we would love to speak with you just a little bit and know that you've been visiting with us this day. Uh, A few announcements that we have this morning. First is this, an important night tonight as we have our budget discussion. If you did not pick up your copy of the budget, please do so. Those are in the lobby of the Corps and Sanctuary and look over that today, peruse that today. And then uh, tonight at 5 o'clock in here, uh, we'll be going over the budget and answer any questions that you might have. And then next Sunday, uh, the 6th, we will have a budget vote with no discussion. So uh, please make sure that you are prepared for that vote. the ladies' night uh, is coming up this Thursday, December the 3rd, at 6.30. It's entitled An Ornament for Christ. And uh, tickets are $10, and a uh, dinner is included. Uh, but please make sure that you bring an unwrapped toy or gift card for the annual toy drive uh, for the Business sharing home. So, And today is the last day to sign up and get your ticket. Again, that's $10. A uh, men's ministry project is just around the corner uh, we will be delivering uh, food baskets fruit baskets and gift cards to the elderly and shut-ins on, oct- uh, on December the 8th uh, and on that night instead of meeting uh, we, where we have been meeting we're gonna meet in the large hallway between the chapel and the Sunday school rooms and please enter by way of the sanctuary side uh, so as we can uh, escape the traffic from the CDC on that evening. Uh, other ways that you can help, you can donate the $10, and if you do that, uh, just put that in the, the offering box in the, in the foyer here. And if you are going to pay by check, just make that uh, to Pitts Baptist Church. But either way, make sure that it is Mark Men's Ministry Project. Also, you can bring your non-perishable food items by uh, the lobby here in the core and the lobby of the sanctuary. So again, uh, we'll be delivering those on December the 8th at 6.30. Um, men, we also have a breakfast coming up, breakfast and work day next Saturday the 5th uh, at 8 o'clock. Uh, please sign up today in the core lobby for that. We'll have projects that we'll be doing around campus and we'll be helping out also with the men's ministry project that morning as well. So lots to do there uh, also another way that we can give back is for uh, uh, our angel tree our angel tree is located in the hallway in the in the core here and if you're not been by to visit that we we would love for you to do so we have many families that we are ministering to in our in our in our area so we would love for you to to get an angel tree and those are due back by December the 13th and then we will disperse those on December the 15th. Also, our Lottie Moon March for Missions is December the 13th, and our goal is $70,000, so be, please be praying for that and uh, what the Lord would have you give for that. Uh, a couple ways that we're going to be ministering at OCC is actually we're going to the, the Processing Center tomorrow night at uh, 5.30, and then once again we'll be going to the Processing Center on December the 15th. Our youth have uh, mission team has a work day on December the 12th, If you would like some light yard work done on that day, please come see me and we'll get you scheduled in for a a work project on those days. But thank you for being with us here this morning and let's continue as we worship the Lord together.
1: from Romans chapter 15, verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the can know of hope.
2: chapter 2, for our scripture reading today, Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness godliness and worldly passions, and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. God, we look around us and we worry. But God, you are a God of truth. We can trust you. We look around and we wonder what's gonna happen next. And we know that God, you are sovereign. We wonder who our leaders will be. But we know God that you are still on the throne. And God, we worship you. We don't worship America. We don't worship the success of America. We worship you, God, and we trust you, God, and we ask you to work your perfect plan because you are sovereign. And, God, we will trust you. We will follow you. We will be a zealous people known for good works. God, help us to be that. God, as a church family, as the family of Pitts Baptist Church, that we would be a beacon of hope in this In this. Uh, city of Concord, in this Pitts community, in the state of North Carolina, in the country called United States, in, a, in this globe. God, we pray that you give us that kind of a mindset to serve you, to worship you, and to tell others about the good news of the gospel. God, we have hope in Jesus, and we ask these things in his name, and all of God's people said. Just stand as we continue worshiping together.
3: in the choir as they come down off the stage I want to remind you of something Kevin said a moment ago with Lottie Moon coming up our goal of 70,000 if I'm not mistaken I believe it cost our International Mission Board now it was about 52,000 a year to keep one family on the mission field I think it's gone up now uh, roughly 58,000 a year We've got Brandon Brooks in Southeast Asia, uh, the Brindle family uh, in that same location thereabouts. They're in locations of the world that uh, we're not supposed to talk about because of danger, their families. So Brandon and the Brindles. And then we've got a third uh, person who will be on the mission field uh, soon through the IMB and that's Katie Cloyes. And so folks, in some ways you could argue that $70,000 for our church goal, if anything, might be a bit low. If it costs about $58,000 a year to keep a family on the mission field, uh, and we're going to have three. And so this Christmas, let me challenge you to make your gift to uh, Lighting Moon uh, certainly one of the biggest gifts, the most generous gifts that you give. uh, Because every dollar we give, Uh, through Lottie Moon goes directly to help missionaries who are on the field. And it doesn't get tied up in administrative things. And so please remember that this year. Well, this morning we're talking about hope. And I want us to look at the hope that was given to people eight centuries before hope arrived in the person of Jesus. Isaiah chapter nine. Let's talk this morning about God's answer for man's hopelessness, and this morning we're going to look at Christ's nativity, the Savior's nativity, His nature, and His names. I hope you have some pen and uh, a pen and some paper, and especially when we get to these names and what they mean and the application for. You and me today, I hope you'll write down uh, some of these uh, implications of these names. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? One of the best known passages in the Old Testament that is used at this time of the year. Isaiah writes, beginning there in verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the Tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we're so grateful for your promise of a Savior long before it happened. Because in your counsels, it was already as good as done. Your promises are secure. Father, we thank you that as you looked at a world in hopelessness and darkness, you were not satisfied to leave us there. You sent your Son to be our Savior. Because of that, we have the hope of eternal life. And when the Bible talks about hope, let us be reminded, Father, that it's not talking about something that's up for debate. It is a divine certainty that in Christ we have eternal life. Thank you for this blessed hope. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, folks, hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? Amen? A number of years ago, in one of our nation's major cities, in one of their major hospitals in that city, there was a child fighting for his life in the burn center there. He had been the victim of a horrible house fire. And quite frankly, the doctors were not even sure for a while that he was going to make it. Slowly he began to improve, but then something happened. His improvement plateaued. And they were concerned for him again, but along about this same time, his school teachers decided to send a tutor in to his room to keep him up on his studies so he would not fall behind Well, in the days following that, suddenly this young boy began making a remarkable recovery. And the doctors and nurses asked him about it, asked him about his sudden improvement, if he had any feelings about it. And he said, yes, I knew when they sent in, when my school sent in a tutor to keep me up on English, grammar, and math, they weren't doing that for some little fella that was about to die. It gave him hope. Hope's a powerful thing. You know, in the world today, what's all the hope? The hope is in a vaccine soon to come out. And we're seeing that reflected in the rallies in the stock market, right? We're looking for that hope. But folks, what what Isaiah is writing to us about here is that God is giving us a hope that is grounded in something far better than the temporary things of this world. Yes, vaccines are important. Yes, hospitals and doctors are important. Yes, tutors and and schools are important. But there is a greater hope that Isaiah is writing about here. It is the hope of a Savior that transcends all earthly circles. Because of the incarnation of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and the fact that he's coming again one day for his bride, you and I sit here today as a people of hope. In fact, we should be defined by hope. That should govern much of how we conduct our lives, that we have a hope that is greater than anything in this world. And that's what Isaiah is writing about. first thing I want you to see with me this morning is the Savior's nativity. Look again at verse verse 6. He says, "For, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And so 740 years ahead of time, Isaiah prophesied about the birth of a child. There's a chapel at the foot of the Alps in one area of the world. And in that chapel, it's very apparent the architects knew what they were doing because inside, as they began the decorations, the interior decorations of that chapel, they had all of the prophets of the Bible, and they were turning, and they were facing the central figure of Jesus Christ with the understanding of what what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 10, that all of the prophets of the Old Testament were pointing to who? They were pointing to Jesus. Jesus. He's the center point of Scripture. All of Scripture points to him. And so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that Over 700 years before his incarnation, Isaiah here is writing about his birth. These were dark days for the Hebrew people. But in dark days that would continue for many centuries for them, God would give an answer. He would have answers for them temporarily, yes, Answers related to their period of time that they were going through. But all of these answers, again, pointed forward to a greater answer. An answer that would be the supreme answer. An answer that would never fail. And that answer would be a child, Jesus. He's the answer to man's hopelessness. Israel had been led by one bad leader after another since the days, really, of Jeroboam and the divided kingdom. When Jeroboam, you've got to understand something, this history, if you're going to understand what Isaiah is talking about here in verse 1 about darkness and gloom over the land. These verses didn't take place in a vacuum. There's a context. When Jeroboam and the ten tribes to the north broke off from Rehoboam, Rehoboam was Solomon's son who stepped into the kingship right after Solomon. There was David, and I was first of all Saul and David and Solomon. And then Rehoboam followed in his father's footsteps. But we know what happened under Rehoboam. There became a divided kingdom. The year was about 930 B.C. And and as a result of what happened under Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the nation was split in two. It became Israel to the north, the northern kingdom, and Judah to the south, the southern kingdom. And so Israel became a divided nation. And so began the sordid tale of failure and disappointment for the nation. The northern kingdom broke off initially from Rehoboam because Rehoboam promised that he was going to tax them more heavily than they had ever been taxed under his father Solomon. And so Jeroboam led these ten tribes to break off from Rehoboam's rule. And then the northern kingdoms, these ten tribes that broke off and became Israel, they became steeped in idolatry. In fact, Jeroboam even set up calves for the people in the northern kingdom to worship. Can you imagine something like that? I mean, they did experience that coming out of Israel in the wilderness. And they did it again. In fact, he set up two different locations in the northern kingdom, one place to the north of the northern kingdom, one place to the south, and they could go to either one of these locations, and they could worship as their gods these golden calves. Well, God got sick of their idolatry. And so he allowed Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, Led by a king at the time by the name of Tiglath-Pileser. Now parents, think about that for the name of a son. Tiglath-Pileser. He led the Assyrians. And he came into the ten tribes and he destroyed them. Now the Assyrians were very ruthless people. They've been referred to as the Nazis of the 8th century BC. They They made a national sport out of warfare. They loved warfare. They loved conquering people. And they were known for how bad they would torture and defeat their enemies and some of the ruthless things they would do against people that they had captured and defeated. Their capital was Nineveh, which would be modern-day Mosul. We've got soldiers in America today who've been fighting wars in and around Mosul. That that was the area of ancient Assyria. And again, they were led by Tiglath-Pileser. You can understand when... When Jonah was called by God to go to the Assyrians and testify to them so that they could be saved, now he went with a message of judgment, but they responded to that message of judgment, and they repented, and God spared them. Well, you can understand how Jonah, when he got that call to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go. Jews would have wanted to see the Assyrians defeated and wiped off the map. Again, the Assyrians were ancient terrorists. They were like the ISIS or the Al-Qaeda of their day. Ruthless, brutal. And led by this king who had his sights set on taking over as much of the ancient world as he possibly could. Assyria was the major power, Egypt was the major power. Well, guess what was between those two powerhouses? You had Israel and Judah, and then also Syria. And so these smaller nations in between these major powers, they were scared because they knew what Tiglath-Pileser was coming to do. Ahaz, had, Ahaz was the king of Judah. Pekah was the king of Israel. Rezin was the king of Syria. Well, Pekah and Rezin get together and they decide that with Tiglath-Pileser on the move with the Assyrian armies, they needed to do something. And so they needed to form an alliance together and get Ahaz, the king of Judah, to join in this alliance promise I'm going somewhere with this. It'll make sense to you. It'll make sense to you, okay? Ahaz didn't want to join the alliance, and so Pekah and Rezin were going to knock him off as the king of Judah. They were going to set up a puppet king, and then there was going to be an alliance of Syria, Israel, and Judah. Hopefully the three of them together, their thinking was, they'll be able to stand against the Assyrian army. And you remember what God told Ahaz to do, the king of Judah. Instead of joining the alliance, he needed to trust God instead. Ahaz, God said, just wait. Don't trust this alliance. Because I'm going to deal with all of this in my time. You need to just wait on my solutions. Well, Ahaz didn't want to wait on God. You know, sometimes that's the toughest thing to do, isn't it? To wait on God. Because what do we want to do? We want to come up with our own solutions to things. We get in situations where we're we're fearful, we panic, we're immediately asking, what can I do to, to fix this? And maybe God lays something on our heart, and we're like, whoa, I don't want to do that. That's how Ahaz was. It seemed like a better thing for Ahaz to do to go his own way. That's sad. Well, Tiglath-Pileser came into the region, and he did attack. He attacked the northern kingdom of Israel in a very harsh way. Look at verse 1 again. I told you it's going to tie together. Naphtali and Zebulun, mentioned here in verse 1, was in the northern kingdom, okay? Okay. This was the very area when Tiglath-Pileser, leading his Assyrian armies, when he came into that area, these were the very areas hit the hardest by the Assyrians. I mean, he wiped them out. And then he and the other Assyrian kings that followed him, remember what they did? Because they wiped out the northern kingdom, they moved in Gentiles to intermarry with any Jews that remained there. But the northern kingdom basically doesn't factor into the rest of Old Testament history. Because of the way they were wiped out. Well, well, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah dips his pen in inspired ink and he prophesies that this very area that's been in darkness since the days of the Assyrians, this very area that was hit so hard and wiped out is the very area that's going to see the light of the Messiah. God's going to deal with their hopelessness and their darkness and their spiritual lostness. This is the very area that Jesus concentrated so much. This was up in Galilee. You read the Gospels where it was much of Jesus' public ministry. It was in Galilee, that northern region, that they enjoyed so much of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so this very area that had been in darkness and wiped out is the area that Isaiah is saying is going to see the light. The light of God's Messiah. Isaiah says that they would be glad as in the harvest days. Now, folks, just think with me a minute. If you're all farmers and you're depending on your crops to come in to be able to support your family, when harvest days come and you look out across your fields and you've got a good harvest and you and your sons and your children and grandsons, you get out and harvest these fields and it's a good crop, it's a good harvest, they would have big harvest celebrations. It was a time of joy. And Isaiah says, when the Savior comes and shines his light, their their joy, their celebration is going to be like in harvest days when the crop would come in and it was a good crop. Tremendous joy. It's an image of joy. Folks, in days like ours, with current headlines that we witness every day, we need to keep our focus on what God has done through the birth of a child, his son. You see, you and I don't we don't look forward to his birth in anticipation. We look back upon it in appreciation. Amen? Amen. We have a greater reason to rejoice than they did. Because the Savior has already come. He's already died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He's already been raised from the dead, ascended to the Father. And one day, perhaps today, he's coming again. We have even greater reason to rejoice. Now, not only would the child be the answer to man's hopelessness, he would also be the answer to man's burdens. Verse 4 here, and our text speaks of burdens. They had burdens on their backs. They had religious burdens on top of everything else. They had political burdens. In Moses' day, they had the burden of Egypt. In Isaiah's day, they had the burden of Assyria. In Jeremiah's day, they had the, the burden of Babylon. In Jesus' day, they had the burden of the Romans. All through their history, the Jewish people had burdens on their backs. They had oppressors. Isaiah mentions here the day of Midian. The Midianites oppressed them. In the book of Judges, every time the Israelites would come to the end of their growing season, the Midianites would come rushing in and steal their harvest. But God raised up Gideon. Gideon Led God's armies and broke the burden of the Midianites. What Isaiah is saying is that through the Messiah, God is going to do that again for his people. He's going to be the answer to our burdens. If you're hopeless, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. If you're in darkness, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. To those heavy laden with burdens, Jesus says in, in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and, and take my burden, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and I'll give you rest. The greatest burden of all, he'll break the burden of sin. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Miracles. Listen, this is a great Listen to what he says. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up. All who trust in him. Amen? Even now, before Jesus returns a second time and ends all the suffering and burdens that his children go through, he helps us now with our burdens. He may not deliver us from the valley, but he'll walk with you through the valley. Well, secondly, let's look at his nature, the Savior's nature. Look again at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There's two thoughts here. One phrase tells us that Jesus is the son of man. The other phrase tells us he's the son of God. He's the son of man, he's the son of God. Which one is it? He's both. What's Isaiah talking about here? He's the child who was born. In other words, this child will be fully human. God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a ghost. He didn't send a a phantom. John Phillips, one of the great Bible teachers of our day, says that the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity, or distorting the humanity. How did that happen? Isaiah 7.14 talks about that. A virgin would be found with child through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, born of a virgin. That's important. He was born of a virgin to share in our humanity, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit So as not to share in our sin nature, he's the God-man, fully human, fully divine, flesh and blood, but he's God's son. He's God's son who's born to a woman, Paul says in Galatians, born to a woman, born under the law to redeem humans who were under the law. But he's also the son who was given. In other words, he's fully divine. I want you to understand something. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. John in his gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What John is saying, when the beginning rolled around, you and I think of the beginning, Genesis 1-1, the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the Word. When When the beginning rolled around, guess what? The Word, Jesus, was already there. What John is saying is, there's never been a time that he was not. He's always existed. From eternity past into eternity future. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but God the Son included. The incarnation began there in a manger in Bethlehem, but that's not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, he's always existed. Jesus was called the Logos, the Word. A Word communicates. John goes on to say the Logos came to communicate to us what God is like. He came to redeem us in his own body, in his own flesh, to die for our sins on the cross. But also he came to show us what who God is like. He came to reveal the Father. And so the distinctions in verse 6 here are very important. For to us, a child is born, speaking of his humanity. To us, a son is given, speaking of his deity. He's the eternal God-man. Thirdly, I want you to see the Savior's name. He goes on to say there, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Folks, we all know names are important, don't we? Names have value. That's why parents spend so much time today agonizing over names. What do I name my, my, my baby, my son, my daughter? Names are important. I'll never forget Dr. James Dobson, a focus on the family, talking about this. He said when their daughter was born, they struggled were, what, what are they going to name her because they knew how cruel children can be on playgrounds even with names, right? So they came up with a name, Danae. The kids on the playground can't do anything with, with that. Sure enough, on the playground one day, they heard their daughter being called Decay. Decay! Decay! Names are important. In the Bible, names were even more important than to us today. Remember Jacob? What did Jacob's name mean? The heel grabber, the trickster. He came out holding on to Esau's heel, and then he he tricked him. and got the birthright, the trickster, the heel grabber. That name described Jacob's character. But then after he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night, he came away a new man, a changed man with a different nature. Jacob knew God, and and God gave him a new name. What was that name? Israel. Prince with God. Jacob went from hill grabber, deceiver, trickster to Israel, one who's a prince with God. Names mean something. In the, in the Bible, God is given different names. In, in Genesis 1, he, he's given the name Elohim, the mighty God of creation. In Genesis 22, when, when Abraham is, is held back from sacrifice in Isaac, God provam, provides the ram in the thicket. Abraham names that place what? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He gives God a new name, signifying what God did. David referred to God as Jehovah Roy. The the Lord is my shepherd. You continue reading through the Bible, you see other names of God. Every name for God stands for something. It, it, It references some kind of characteristic or attribute of God. Again, what am I saying? Names are important. Well, when we think about Jesus, what are names that Isaiah is talking about here? His name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor. Some translations may break this into two. Others see a strong linkage between these two Hebrew words. His his name is is wonderful. It, it, It speaks of someone who's out of the ordinary. He's unique. He's different. There's nobody else like him. He's the marvelous one, the astonishing one. When Moses stood before Pharaoh in Exodus 8, he he said, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Jesus is wonderful. Matthew 1, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This little baby will be Jehovah God in the flesh. He'll save us. His name is wonderful. In his birth, he was wonderful. A birth unlike any other. In his life, he was wonderful. In his death, he was wonderful. In his resurrection, he was wonderful. In his second coming one day, he'll be wonderful. He's the wonderful counselor a wonder of a counselor. His wisdom is infinite. Paul gets to the end of Romans 11 and says, who's ever been God's counselor? Answer, nobody. Infinite wisdom. He's the wonderful, unique, nobody else like him counselor. Amen? Do you need God's wisdom? You find it in Christ. You find it in God's word. Just open up his word and and begin reading his word. If you want God's counsel. And again, who's the center character of all of scripture? Jesus. In God's word, culminating in Jesus, you find God's counsel. He's a wonder of a counselor. Nobody else likes. He's the mighty God. This is the name El Gibor. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, Moses first applied it to God the Father. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a a bribe. He's the God of gods and Lord of lords. Jeremiah 32, 17. Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. He's the mighty God. He's the God that said, let there be light. And what? Guess what? Light. The God who said, Let a sun be there and a moon there and stars there. Stars so numerous they can't even be counted. And and yet, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, Isaiah talks about how, how God knows all the stars and knows them by name. He's the mighty God. He's not only the God who can give you wisdom. But he's the God who can empower you, give you strength to help you through life, the burdens you face, the trials you face. In the Bible, we see his power over demons. We see his power over disease. We see his power over death. On one occasion, his disciples even commented, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He's the mighty God. Of course, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, what's the greatest act of God's might that we see? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul points out the same God who raised his son from the dead is the same God who is at work in you. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. While being the mighty God, you know, you might think, mighty God, he's so unapproachable. No, he's the everlasting father. He's he's approachable. He's a father. He loves and protects his children and provides for his children. How how many this Christmas need the love of, of a father? He's the everlasting father. He'll never die. He'll never desert you. He's always there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Earthly fathers come and go. They die. Things happen to them. But he's the everlasting father. Not only the mighty God who can work in you, but he's he's approachable. He's your loving father. He's the prince of peace. The Hebrew is shar shalom. The one who removes... Anything that, that disturbs peace, he's able to help you through that. Again, folks, in the, Bible, the Bible never tells Christians that, that God's going to remove everything from us right now. As long as we're a part of a fallen world. The, you get a sickness or a disease, don't worry. He's going to remove. You're you're not going to die. You're not going to face trouble. The Bible never says that. The Bible tells us, though, in the midst of all this, we have a God who's able to give us strength and peace through it all. And guess what? One day, all these things that trouble us now will be removed. But even now, He's the one that's able to give you peace. Whatever's disturbing you might be related to your health. Might be related to your business, might be related to your school, your friends, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's Sharshalon, the Prince of Peace. You know what the problem is that people are looking for peace today? They're looking for peace in sources in the world that were never designed to be able to give peace. Folks, do you realize that's where 99% of humanity is? They are are looking for peace in sources that can't deliver it. Not until people know the Prince of Peace will people really
1: have peace.
3: And that's the message you and I have to share with the lost and dying world. They're, they're looking at areas that are broken cisterns. You know what cisterns were in the Old Testament? They would hold water. And, and the Bible in Jeremiah 2 talks about broken cisterns. The people would go there looking for satisfaction, and they'd be broken cisterns, and, and all the water would have leaked out. People are looking for things and sources that can't provide it. But he can provide you with peace. He's the Prince of Peace. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. And so we see his birth, his character, and his name. But notice from verse 7, it's almost like a, a postscript here. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. With a nativity so great so miraculous, with a nature so unique, with a name so meaningful, surely the life of this child will be distinctive, and indeed it is. Isaiah says it is. Not only did he come to reveal, not only did he come to redeem, but he came to reign. He didn't come simply to be a baby, to be admired. He is a Savior who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He came to rule and to He says that the government will be upon his shoulder. You know, in recent decades, regardless of political parties, polls are polls at are all-time lows about what the public thinks of politicians. Polls today reveal that there is virtually no confidence that we have at all in either human government But his government, Isaiah is saying, will be different from all others. One day he'll come riding on the clouds and establish his kingdom where justice will roll down like the mighty waters. It'll be a kingdom where faith becomes sight, where wrong is made right, where darkness is turned to light. It will be a kingdom of everlasting hope. Because it will be the kingdom of the one whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the eternal God-Man. It will be his kingdom. So you and I have hope even while we wait. That hope helps us as we wait. Follow what I'm saying? number of years ago, scientists had two big tubs of water and put divided mice into two tubs. One tub, they let them, they, well, they put mice in both, one they just let them s- swim around, they lasted for an hour, and they died. The mice, or the rats, in this tub, they'd get them out, they'd dry them off, they'd let them rest a minute, they'd put them back in get them out after a while, dry them off, let them rest, put them back in, and then they put them in again and left them. Now remember the others had had swam for an hour and died. These swam for more than 24 hours. They had no explanation for it other than to say that even among rats, They had experienced the hope of being pulled out of the water. They had that hope. And so they kept swimming, hoping that that was going to happen again. They endured. Now folks, if rats can endure, you and I can endure. We have a hope that we've been saved in Christ. And one of these days... All the craziness and chaos going on in the world, guess what? It's going to be defeated. Because the government's going to be on his shoulders. And it's going to be a reign without end. The reign of the God-man. In perfect righteousness and wisdom and strength. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this hope, steadfast hope you've given us. You didn't send a politician or an economist or a scientist to be our ultimate hope. You sent your son if there's even one here today who doesn't know him in a personal way, Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd convict them of their sin and draw them to faith in Jesus. Let them experience personally the hope that so many people in this very room have already experienced. God, may they know you and may they be known by you. May they have this hope that nothing in this world can defeat or diminish. For it's in Christ's name.